So Pastor Chris has been going through this um, series on spiritual disciplines. Um, It's based on a book by Adele Alberg Calhoun. Um, The practices follow, um, it's like an acrostic for worship, and this week is the I, and the I in worship is incarnate the love of Christ. So to incarnate means to embody or represent in human form. So that's what we are invited to do with Christ's love, is to completely embody it, to take it into the very essence of who we are. And I loved this passage from the book. I wanted to read it to you. God is love. God loves children and adults. God loves Democrats and Republicans. God loves old people and young people, good people and bad people, straight people and gay people. God loves everyone. God loves gossips and peacemakers, terrorists and doctors, law enforcement officers and anarchists. God loves us all. So the first thing we're going to talk about as far as spiritual discipline is blessing slash encouraging others. Um, We are created for relationship. And built into that, we are created with this desire for validation, for to validate who we are and our sacred worth. And even God is excellent at this. God gives us the example of validating one another. Even God spoke after creating humans, God said, this is good, very good. And to Jesus, after Jesus was baptized, you are my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And so what exactly is blessing and encouragement? It's praying God's delight into people's lives. It's speaking or writing scriptural words of encouragement for another person. It's speaking words that empower, nurture, and give courage to others. And what exactly does it do? Like, what is the purpose of blessing and encouraging? It fills that human hunger for blessing. It gives strength to those who are ready to give up. It lets others know that they are visible, that they're appreciated and unconditionally loved by God. It spreads the delight God has in people. It enlarges our hearts with God's delight, and it builds up the body of Christ. And when I think about God's delight, I think about that verse in the obscure prophet Zephaniah's book in the Old Testament, where he says, God will rejoice over you with loud singing. That is such a beautiful image. I also, uh, (laughs) conversely, I also think about The scene in the show Parks and Recreation, where a couple gets engaged and they hold hands and they say, I love you and I like you. I truly believe God not only loves us, but likes us. I have this idea that God is very playful, that God loves dad jokes, that God loves all of our little quirks, that God deeply enjoys us. He enjoys our presence. He enjoys our existence. And so when we get to that point of wanting to bless others, wanting to encourage others, we will find that many people, unfortunately, feel more cursed than blessed 
Many people have trauma wounds that are deep, that are dating back to childhood. Some folks have trauma they can't even remember, but they're dealing with the effects of it. And trauma is one of those things, it's like a buzzword in our culture. Um, So I wanted to take a moment to just define it for you so we understand what we're talking about. Trauma is the lasting emotional response that often results from living through a distressing event. Experiencing a traumatic event can harm a person's sense of safety, sense of self, and ability to regulate emotions and navigate relationships. And so some folks, like I said, they still need healing. And I have heard many trauma experts speak on this, and they say that we all have trauma. Whether we recognize that or not, we all have it. Actually, these past few years with the pandemic has been a collective trauma for all of us. One of my favorite words on trauma comes from Richard Rohr, who is a a Catholic priest and author, and he says, if we do not transform our trauma, we will transmit it. If we do not transform our trauma, we will transmit it. And so working on that trauma in ourselves, however we need to do that, is the best idea because healing ourselves gives us the best possible vessel in order to incarnate the love of Christ for others. Now we're talking about encouragement and blessing. I want you to just take a moment and think about a time when someone really encouraged or blessed you. Think back to a time when someone said a kind word to you, when someone spoke the truth over you, when someone really really validated you. I think about, I, um, I go to Fenton United Methodist Church over or across the street, excuse me, and um, I started going there in 2014. And the first time that I sat down with the pastor, I was kind of telling him my story. And I think I was speaking of myself pretty negatively. I was being very critical, kind of harsh, and uh, cruel almost in the way that I saw myself. And he said, I don't see you that way at all. He said, I see a person who is comfortable in their skin and happy to be where they are. And those words, although they sound so simple, they gave me a complete paradigm shift, gave my brain a complete 180 to hear the validation from someone. That's how he saw me. And... Um, Honestly, I still sometimes thank him for that because it meant so much to me that he did that. When we talk about practicing, how do we practice blessing or encouragement? The book gives a few suggestions, and this is one of them. So choose one day this week to encourage as many people as you can. Don't flatter. Ask God to give you his divine eyesight. And when it's appropriate, speak your blessing out loud. If you can't speak it out loud, speak the blessing to God and ask God to bless the person. And then at the end of the day, reflect on what it was like to be the one who carried the blessing of God. The second discipline that I'd like to discuss is compassion. Jesus showed compassion to outcasts 
sex workers, tax collectors, crowds, beggars, women, foreigners, societal outcasts, as well as those with communicable diseases. He saw the people that other people overlooked. He was quick to feel for them rather than to label them. He never labeled them as promiscuous, self-destructive, or, oh, that guy's a real piece of work. When a neglectful religious leader actually passed judgment on a woman that he didn't know, Jesus said to him, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Simon saw only appearances. His preconceived notions were coloring the lens of how he saw this woman. He didn't feel for her because he didn't see her. Jesus really sees the hungry, the poor, the grieving, the physically impaired, the mentally ill, and the culturally marginalized. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with seeing. For Jesus, compassion is a call to action, to healing, and to restoration. I experienced um, this wonderful moment of compassion. It was last month. I ended up getting very stomach sick. And I went to my doctor's office and I was just miserably nauseous. And at one point I had to walk down the hall to get a test done. And the lab tech, I could kind of see from the way that she looked at me that I must have looked every bit as miserable as I felt. And she was so gentle with me. And after the test was done, she said, I'm going to go get you some water. I said, okay. She brought me a cup of cold water. And then she said, I really hope that you feel better soon, honey. And the compassion in her face and in her voice, it reminded me of when Jesus said, if you so much as bring someone a cup of cold water in my name, you are my disciple. For some reason, we have these ideas about compassion being deserved or undeserved, whether people deserve it or they don't. These are some words from Thomas Merton that I feel can explain this. Thomas Merton was a Catholic monk and author. He says, our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. That is not our business, and in fact, it is nobody's business. What we are asked to do is love, and this love itself will render both ourselves and our neighbors worthy. Um... Over the summer, I took uh, my youth group to Vicinia Gardens, um, and we went to, they have several different buildings there. We went to um, the building where the folks are dealing with memory issues, with dementia, and some of them are really not present in the present moment. Some of them are stuck in places, other places in their lives. And when I took my kids there, and we sat with them, I was absolutely overwhelmed, overwhelmed by watching the way that my kids interacted with them, how they sat with them and they listened to them and they asked them questions. They were not intimidated by them. They were not afraid. They simply just sat with them and we made crafts and they sat with them and they helped them. They helped them with the little beads and the sequins and the glitter all very humbly and very gently. 
So this is our practice for compassion that we might want to work on. Consider who the outsiders and disenfranchised are in our community. Choose one of these groups and find out something about them. What do they need? What do they have to give? Where is God calling you to walk in his compassion? Our next spiritual discipline is control of the tongue. Oh my goodness. This is a big one. Words are so small. They have incredible power. We've all heard the sticks and stones thing. I don't really think it's true. I think words hurt a lot. In the book of James, it says a word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish anything or destroy it. We are inhabited beings, meaning the spirit of God lives in us and partners with us to change our verbal outbursts. God intends to so renovate our tongues that we become God's own word of blessing, truth and love for others. Healing and blessing others with our words is one way that God heals our world. So in this culture, in this society, in this modern world where we live now, perhaps controlling the tongue is a more expansive idea because we have so many ways in which we use words. We have so many ways in which we type to people instead of talking to them. We have social media, we have texting, we have even captioning our photos and using emoji. Those are ways in which we communicate to people. What I've learned from watching some interactions online is there is a difference between reacting and responding. And I think our goal, because reacting is often just going with whatever your visceral response is, that hot flash of anger, frustration, dismissal of the other person, reducing that person to one view that they hold instead of seeing the whole person. Response means taking time to be mindful of who that person is and what they might be going through in that moment. Responding means that you take time to think, you take time to develop sensitivity to the other person's emotions and their life story. A good rule of thumb could be, before you speak, ask yourself, is this true? Is this kind? Is this necessary? One of the ways in which I think we get in a lot of trouble with our speech is through gossip. And it is so tempting. We have this hunger for wanting to know what's going on. We want to be the first to know something. We want to be the first to share it with everybody else. And we can always kind of delude ourselves into thinking, well, I'm kind of doing this as a public service. I'm letting people know this because they need to know. But really, it's not about that. It's often about our ego. We want to be the person that knows. It's about how we want to be seen by other people. And when we gossip, we are reducing other people to simply just fodder for conversation. We're not showing them any love. We're not showing them any consideration or gentleness. It's all about what we can get out of the situation. 
We're objectifying people when we gossip about them. Another thing we can think about is, does our speech reflect the fruits of the Spirit? Is there love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Are those things shown in our speech? Are they reflected in the ways in which we communicate with people, the ways in which we use our words? And here's a practice I would suggest for controlling the tongue. So scripture does tell us that we will give an account for every word that we have said. So spend some time praying about how you use words. And imagine, a little bit scary, but imagine that all of your words have been recorded and they're stored somewhere. And then think about those words being played back to you. What do you hear? What do you notice? And then give to God an account of the words that you use today. Confess with your mouth the sins of your mouth. And then receive God's forgiveness for that. Our next spiritual discipline is humility. Of course, as we've acknowledged, it's a normal human longing to want to be appreciated to want to be valued, to want to be recognized for our potential. Humility does not ruin that. Humility goes along with that. It doesn't mean thinking demeaning and low, insulting thoughts about ourselves. It's not denying the truth of our achievements or thinking less of ourselves. Humility stems from an honest understanding of who we are. We are not better than anybody else. We are not worse than anybody else. There's this saying in the Jewish tradition credited to to a rabbi, and it says, keep two pieces of paper in your pocket at all times. One says, I am a speck of dust. The other says, the world was created for me. Those, the tension of those two ideas are really the essence of who we are. Humility invites us away from the curated self. We curate ourselves constantly. We do it on social media. We do it in person conversations as well. Imagine your your life as a museum and you are the curator and you're deciding, you're making very careful choices about what you choose to display in the galleries that you show to other people. Some of us don't want to reveal anything that might be too personal, embarrassing, vulnerable, difficult. And it would do us a lot of good to remember that social media is a highlight reel. Social media does not reflect another person's life. I'm sure we've all done this where someone tells us something like, oh, I took the kids to the cider mill. And we say, oh, yeah, I saw that on Facebook. It looked like a lot of fun. And then the real story is usually something quite different. The real story is, oh, both the kids were sick and they were kind of miserable or they wouldn't get ready in time. So we got there and we were late. It's always more than has been curated for us to see. Jesus is the consummate example of humility and greatness. 
Jesus knew he was God's own son. No one born of flesh will ever be greater than Jesus. But Jesus laid down his divine power and greatness and appeared on earth as we all do. He was born the helpless son of the Virgin Mary. The mind boggles at the depth of Christ's descent. Jonathan Edwards put it well when he suggested that even as Christ is infinitely greater than us, Christ is also infinitely more humble. In practice of humility, we can remember when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. What are the characteristics of a gentle and humble heart? We can ask ourselves that. And how are we cultivating a gentle and humble heart within ourselves? Our last discipline I'd like to touch on is stewardship. Stewardship means recognizing that nothing we have really belongs to us. Everything we own belongs to God. We are simply the stewards of God's wealth, God's gifts, God's opportunities, God's houses, God's cars, and God's computers, and tablets, and phones, and so on. Sharing needs to be a part of our DNA. Several years ago, I, I had a coworker who was very open about the fact that she had grown up in poverty, that she'd had a really hard time growing up, and the thing I noticed about her was that her first instinct was always to share. Whenever she had anything, a snack, a lunch, even a drink, she'd say, oh, do you want some? I have enough to share. Do you want some? Because she had been in that place of lacking, that place of need, and so she had extraordinary empathy for others and this extraordinary impulse to share everything. Good stewards ask some hard questions of themselves. What do I need to be content? What do I need to have to be content? Am I willing to share? Am I willing to live on, on less so that others might have more? I think it's important to say also that Stewardship is not just about money, resources, and possessions. It's also about time. How do we spend our time? Do we offer it to other people? Do we offer it to worthy causes like the church? Perhaps we can use this time <clears throat> to bless other people, to show compassion to other people. In terms of practicing stewardship, here's what we can do. Think back over our lives. When have we given something that brought us great joy? What is it that we gave? Why did it touch us so deeply? And how might we continue to give in that area that gives us joy? So, as we go about our week practicing 
blessing and encouragement, compassion, control of the tongue, humility, and stewardship. I have a blessing for you. This is a familiar blessing. It's words written by Frederick Beekner. It's actually something I send to Chris every year on his birthday. And it's for you today. The grace of God means something like, here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you'll reach out and take it. Maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too.